hour number three underway. This is it. We're already in it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Pete Callender here, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, the pistol purchase permit system in North Carolina, it's racist. And um, actually, it was Jim Crow era law, which is weird because the people who are always so hyper vigilant to let us know where all the Jim Crow laws are and uh, Jim Crow inspired laws and Jim Crow era laws, like all of the all of that. For some reason, they're totally on board with this Jim Crow era law, and it actually is a law that was put on the books to keep black people from owning firearms. So, lest they be able to defend themselves from the Klan. Seriously, like that's what the pistol purchase permit system was about. And nowadays, Democrats prefer to use it uh, to keep guns out of the hands of, well, if you look at the, st- uh, the statistics, uh, oh, it actually still is black people. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it still is. <laughs> Some things never change, you Democrats, you crazy old Democrats. So I do find this interesting, and the only reason it comes up again is because the uh, the super smart set over at WRAL's parent company, Capital Broadcasting Company, decided to do an op or sorry, an editorial. Uh, WRAL, I mentioned this the other day. They are um, they are the Raleigh-based television station. This was Jesse Helms's TV station, and I suspect they're trying to. Uh, sort of excise that history uh, somewhat. And so that's why they went and hired a fellow by the name of Seth Efron. And uh, I think he's been in a couple movies as well. Isn't that, yeah, like 30 going on. Anyway, he, um, he used to be the comms guy. He was a reporter first, of course, and then he became a comms guy for uh, former governors Bev Perdue and Mike Easley. Both Democrats. He then uh, got hired on to be the mouthpiece for Jim Goodman, who is the owner of Capital Broadcasting Company that owns WRAL. And so they keep cranking out these editorial pieces because for some reason, we all need to know what the owner of WRAL thinks about stuff. Oh, and, and newsflash, he's a liberal Democrat. So can you guess what kind of guy he hired. Well, obviously he hired a Democrat. So can you guess what kind of opinions are being pushed out of the WRAL editorial department, which we are to believe they told us that the news coverage is never informed or influenced or biased at all by the editorial positions or the people that take them. Although there was that email that went around a couple of months back that showed there was discussion among the editorial guy and the news department, but that's just one example. That's it's not widespread. It's like vote fraud. So, uh, Mr. Efron writes a big piece about the pistol purchase permit repeal that is proposed in the general assembly. It's working its way through the legislature. And this would just be terrible because Republicans obviously want more people to die. And so That's why they're trying to repeal the pistol purchase permit. So he's actually defending a Jim Crow era law. Noted Democrat on behalf of noted Democrat defending Democrat laws that keep guns out of the hands of 
predominantly black people. And there is, I have the data to support this. I'm not just throwing this out there. I'm not just making wild accusations like the left does on critical race theory. State Senator Chuck Edwards, a Henderson County Republican, that's uh, Henderson County right there next to Buncombe County and on the state border with South Carolina. Uh, Chuck Edwards, uh, he actually is the senator who, who won the seat after Tom Apodaca, who was a longtime shot caller out there out west. Uh, he, so Chuck Edwards is now uh, in that seat, and he says it has been brought to my attention some sheriffs were slowing the issuance of the permits simply because they do not want to allow citizens their Second Amendment rights. Edwards says that the National Instant Criminal Background Check System is adequate. And what Mr. Efron says is that this is idle chatter and hearsay. It's not reality or facts. Or is it? Or is it? I ask this question because the North State Journal has a story about a lawsuit that has been filed against our very own sheriff here in Mecklenburg County over the delay of issuing pistol permits. So for folks who don't know how this system works, which I understand basically describes like all Democrats and every gun control activist, I understand that. So the way the system works here is that if you want to purchase a firearm, not a rifle, but a handgun, you want, you got to go to the sheriff's office. You got to give them $5, five whole dollars. And you have to ask, please, sir, can I purchase a firearm? And you have to do it like that. It's in the law. I don't make the law. It's in the law. No, I'm kidding about that part. But you go there, you give them $5, and you get a shiny permit. If the sheriff thinks that you are of good moral character and you are a, a good citizen in good standing, it's completely nebulous, right? Now, the sheriff and various sheriffs can can do whatever they want. They'll, you know, they could run a background check on you, or maybe they say, oh, you know what? I know Pete. He's okay by me. Yeah, he's in my neighborhood. He would never hurt a fly. He's totally fine. Whatever. Some sheriffs have a more streamlined process or something where they take that out of your hands, but some do not. And so the, the sheriff gets to make this call, whether you get this piece of paper that says you can purchase one whole firearm with this piece of paper. And if, by the way, if you have a concealed carry permit, you don't need those papers anymore. You've got the permit, which is way more rigorous to go through. It's a much more rigorous process to go through and uh, takes a lot longer. The sheriff's offices have been accused of slow rolling those as well. Um, And uh, then you, you just use your concealed carry card and that is your permit to purchase the handguns. Right, so this is so this system is only for handguns too. Only for handguns. If you want a rifle, you don't need the pistol purchase permit. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called a pistol purchase permit, right? For obvious reasons. So now there is a lawsuit though that has been filed against Mecklenburg County. Um, this is from AP Dillon, our friend AP Dillon at the North State Journal. Multiple firearms advocacy groups, along with several individuals, have filed a lawsuit against Mecklenburg County Sheriff Gary McFadden for his refusal to issue pistol purchase permits and concealed handgun permits in a timely manner as is required by North Carolina state law. There's one group called Grassroots North Carolina and another group called Gun Owners of America, and they are the main plaintiffs in this case. They're asking for a preliminary injunction against McFadden. 
The complaint lists three individual plaintiffs who are residents of Mecklenburg County. There is uh, Rights Watch International, located in North Carolina, and Gun Owners Foundation, located in Virginia. They are also listed in the suit. The days of sheriffs obstructing North Carolina citizens from exercising their right to keep and bear arms under the United States Constitution and North Carolina Constitution are over, said Gun, or sorry, uh, Grassroots North Carolina President Paul Vallone. The suit alleges that McFadden's office was taking up to six months to schedule appointments for permits and up to an additional six months to process permit applications. By the way, here's just a piece of advice. If you're going to go out and get one permit, you're going to spend the $5 and get a permit, you're, you might as well... Bring 25 and get five. Just do it at once. Do it all at once. Get a whole bunch extra. Not that I'm saying you need to go out and use them, but if you do and something happens and you're like, oh, you know, somebody's looking to sell a firearm uh, at a gun show and you're like, oh, I want to buy that. And you don't have to now go back and get another permit. You'll have a couple. You'll have, you know, four left over. So you can then just present that at the time. And by the way, um, for folks who are listening, for Democrats and gun control activists who don't know anything about guns, um, when you buy guns at gun shows, like virtually everybody at the gun show is an FFL, and they're going to require you to present some sort of uh, proof that you can buy the gun. Right? They're going to run you through nicks. They're going to do that stuff because they don't want to lose their license. A year. A year. It takes a year to get a pistol purchase permit in Mecklenburg County. That is insane. No wonder they're getting sued. (laughs) The sheriff's office being sued by a a host of gun rights organizations. The sheriff, Gary McFadden, takes his office takes up to six months to schedule appointments for permits and up to another six months to process them. A year. Like, hmm, I think I might want to purchase a gun in 2022. I should start the paperwork now. Really? No, this, oh, oh, I know, I know. It's all because of COVID. COVID's the reason why nobody can do anything anymore, right? That's the reason why. Give me a break. COVID is an excuse. COVID is a cover. COVID is just the justification that people use to do the thing that they wanted to do anyway. Man, I would really love to not work for two years. Oh, guess what? I can do that now because of COVID. Man, I would really like to not pay my rent. Oh, guess what? I can do that now because of COVID. I'd really like to not shower. Well, I haven't been doing that actually regularly for a long time. That's that has been going on for a while. All right. But um, (laughs) the. The delay in pistol purchase permitting, I will give you a little bit of COVID impact. Just a little bit. I suspect that you guys are totally fine with delaying people's ability to purchase firearms. I think that's, and you may believe that you're doing the Lord's work in trying to slow roll all of this stuff. But what you're doing is benefiting the people. You're doing it for the right reasons. The best of intentions. House Bill 398 will now take this job, this authority, from the sheriffs. And I'm okay with that. 
I really am. I'm okay with that. We have the Knicks system. I'm okay with taking it away from sheriffs who use it to prevent people that they don't like from getting firearms. They, they can do that, right? They can do that. The current version of the bill that is now being uh, run through the legislature repeals the need to get a pistol purchase permit or concealed handgun permit entirely, and the Sheriff's Association, which had previously opposed the changes, is now on board. Quote, we are encouraged to see that the North Carolina Sheriff's Association now agrees to bring gun purchases in North Carolina into the 21st century by eliminating our Jim Crow-era permit system and requiring background checks at point of sale. That's That system already exists, folks. It already exists at the point of sale. That was, a, by the way, a comment from Paul Valone from Grassroots North Carolina. Um, given that a recent UNC School of Law paper found that in Wake County, black applicants are being denied permits three times more often than whites, it is clear that racism in issuing permits continues to this day. Consequently, we are calling upon Democrat legislators to join in repealing this racist law. What Valone is doing, and I don't know his intentions. I've not spoken with him about the last time I spoke with him, I think was an interview I did with him, I don't know, five years ago or so. But what he's citing here, this is what the left cites whenever they try to allege racism. This is at the core of actually Critical race theory, disparate outcomes, disparate outcomes among racial groups is now viewed as de facto proof of systemic racism. So if you have in this paper from the UNC School of Law would indicate it to be so that up in Wake County, they're denying permits from uh, requests from black applicants at three times the rate that they are denying the applicants who are white, that is de facto proof that it is a racist system. That's the left standard. The right didn't come up with this standard, this disparate income. This is the standard of the left, of the progressives. And I have been telling the left this on a great many things for many, many years. Y'all are really not going to like it when we start all adopting your standards because they're garbage standards. They're garbage because so what am I to believe that the Wake County Sheriff is a racist, right? It's systemically racist. The sheriff's office in Wake County is systemically racist. And that's why they're denying black applicants pistol purchase permits, right? There's no other explanation. None is allowed. And if you think there's another explanation, if you're going to say, oh, it's more complex. Well, you're a racist. I'm sorry to inform you, but I'm not really sorry. This is the consistent application of the standard. You're a racist for suggesting that there might be other factors at play besides race in why three times as many black applicants than white applicants are rejected in Wake County. So WRAL's parent company owned by Jim Goodman, they're obviously all racists, right? Because they're trying to preserve a system that, as I just explained, is denying black people their constitutional rights. Yeah, they they want to continue denying black people their constitutional rights. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not a racist, though. Like, obviously, WRAL and their editorial writer. Uh, I'm not a racist like they are. So I would like to see this Jim Crow era law repealed and, uh, and for everybody to be treated equally. 
Are you against people being treated equally? All right, so I got some good news and I got some bad news. What do you want to hear first? Good news. Good news? All right, good news. This is not my new intro. No, I'm kidding. The good news is Andrew Cuomo has had his international Emmy taken back. He has lost his Emmy. Did you know he won an Emmy? I did not. Yeah. For what? For, if I recall correctly, it was for his COVID briefings that were televised. Oh, I thought you were playing your rim shot. <laughs> no. No, that's true. The statement here from the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, quote, the International Academy announced today that In light of the New York Attorney General's report and Andrew Cuomo's subsequent resignation as governor, it is rescinding his special 2020 International Emmy Award. His name and any reference to his receiving the award will be eliminated from International Academy materials going forward. Indeed. Right down the memory hole. So sorry. All right, so that was the good news. So and does someone actually, like, physically take it from him? Like, do they, like, literally go into his house and <laughs> they find it on his mantle? And Well, I mean, he might have left it there along with his dog at the governor's mansion. Like, yeah. <laughs> Do you hear that? He left his dog at the governor's mansion? He what? He left his dog behind. He it, did? Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain is the dog's name. What is it with, like, Biden and Cuomo? Like, what is it with these... Democrat executive office holders that they named their dogs ranks, you know, (laughs) it's a a thing. It has to be formal. Yeah. I don't even remember because I think Biden's is, doesn't he have like major and somebody else anyway. um, So that was the good news that they, they went to the governor's mansion to feed the dog that he left behind and they, uh, and then they, they, they swiped the Emmy for, back from him. And they memory hold it. So they don't want anything to do with it. We don't want anybody to ever know that we ever gave this man an Emmy, even though they did. They did. And part of me is like, I don't think you should even be able to take those Emmys back. I think it should. I think the Emmy people need to live with that stain on their reputation in their materials forever as well. You know? Because if they just get to wipe it all away, then it's like it never happened. And now they're not going to be culpable or or have any kind of responsibility in elevating the love gov up to this ridiculous position that he never earned. But I also do like the fact that they took the award back. So I'm kind of torn. I'm kind of torn. <laughs> so the real question is that th- that was my laugh. The real question is going to be: Is what? he, he going to pull like an O.J. Simpson and try and actually forcibly take it back if they do take away take it away from him? Right, go like uh, arrange like a meet in a hotel room. Yeah, yeah, and like kidnap some people, hold them at gunpoint to get his Emmy back. Yeah, yeah. Nah, I, I don't know. What do you think an Emmy is worth? 
Like the, I mean, I mean, yes, yes, all the hard work and blah blah blah. But like, like monetary value. Like, could you melt that thing down? It's an international Emmy. It was for, is to the TV appearances. Eh. I do find that interesting too. Are all the like are all the Emmys universal in terms of like how they're they're like how they're put together? Yeah, probably. Because my roommate had an Emmy for he worked in TV. Yeah, and he had an Emmy for as a as a photog. But I was like, is that the same Emmy that you know Andrew Cuomo gets or? You know, or Andrew Cuomo, yeah, probably. Really? Yeah, their TV award. They give out a billion of them. They like, know, but it, it seemed it, gold. Se- it seemed actually like pretty cheap. Like, yeah, they are. It seemed no different than the, like the little little league little trophy I got when I was six years old. Right. The real value is putting it on your resume. Ah, that's the real value. Because nobody gives themselves more awards than media. True. Because <laughs> nobody else recognizes the value of what we do here. Anyway. Uh, the, that was the good news that they have taken back his Emmy. They've pulled the plate off of it. They're going to put someone else's name and a different category on it for next year. The bad news on his way out the door, Andrew Cuomo gave clemency to the San Francisco district attorney's terrorist dad. That actually happened. Have you heard this? On his way out the door, while he's leaving his dog behind, because it was just a temporary arrangement, people. It was, it was just for the PR. Um, he granted clemency to David Gilbert, the weather underground terrorist guy, participant in the murderous Brinks armored car heist, the father of Chessa Bowden, that's the DA out in San Francisco, the one that's not prosecuting any criminals. Right. A literal terrorist just got released by Andrew Cuomo, David Gilbert. And Dan McLaughlin at uh, National Review says it's a giant middle finger to New York law enforcement. Um, Gilbert was convicted of three counts of second-degree murder, four counts of first-degree robbery in 1983. He served 40 years of a 75-year-to-life sentence related to an incident in which he was the driver, but not the murderer. While incarcerated, Mr. Gilbert has made significant contributions to AIDS education and prevention programs. In prison? I got questions. Anyway, he has also worked as a student tutor law library clerk, paralegal assistant, a teacher's aide, and an aide for various additional facility programs. At this time, Mr. Gilbert is the only individual still incarcerated with no possibility of parole in his lifetime. He will be referred to the parole board for potential release. That's who, among others, uh, got a commutation of his sentence by Andrew Cuomo on his way out the door. Do you remember people very, very concerned about who Trump might pardon? I do not want to hear a single thing from the left ever again about who gets pardons and clemency from Republicans ever again. You guys are releasing literal terrorists. When big real estate projects in San Francisco encounter resistance from nearby residents, developers traditionally respond by making concessions. Frequently, that means scaling back a project, right? Leading to the creation of less housing than originally envisioned. But one project finally took a different turn. 
one that reveals a lot about the state of California housing policy. Last year, DM Development announced plans to build a 290-unit building in the Portrero Hill neighborhood. The project was within walking distance of tech giants like Airbnb and Uber, and it featured dorm-style units that could be perfect for young, single tech workers. Potrero Hill residents demanded that the project, though, be scaled back, perhaps reduced even from seven stories down to six. What's up with that? One whole story, you're going to knock off one floor, and you're like, yes, we won that round! Six to seven stories, really? Okay. So what did the developer do? They added 10 stories on top of it. No, I'm sorry. Sorry. They added four on top of it to make it a 10-story building. They said, oh, really? The building just got taller. That's what they said. Instead of bending to the neighbor's wishes and dropping the height of the project, DM development went into the went the opposite direction increasing the proposed 80-foot building to 120 feet, raising the original number of units from 290 up to 450. That, according to the San Francisco Chronicle's J.K. Deneen. DM Development CEO Mark McDonald said he submitted the bigger plan after, quote, it was abundantly clear to us that the neighbors were not supportive of the lower-scale project. He said if we had gotten support for the original plan, we would have kept going down that path. But you didn't want that plan, so you're getting this one. <laughs> Which, this is, by the way, why San Francisco is like the hellscape it is. right? You've got this class of people, like nobody can afford to live there. Because they cap all the buildings at a certain height. In order to protect the, the nature, the, the community aesthetic that we have going on here in San Francisco. We don't want any taller buildings. And, well, you don't have taller buildings, which means you don't have people living in taller buildings. And so now you've constrained the supply of housing, which then forces the price up. And that's why it costs, I think the last estimate I saw was somewhere in the neighborhood of like $14 billion for a studio apartment. I think that's roughly accurate. Um, California Senate Bill 35 apparently became law. It was legislation to boost housing construction in the state by limiting the authority of local governments over development projects. The legislation ultimately did become law, which is why DM Development was able to ignore community opposition in Potrero Hill. And according to Timothy Lee, the author uh, of the piece at FullStackEconomics.com, he says that... uh, This has stripped local residents of input into some real estate projects. A growing number of people think that excessive local influence over housing projects is a big economic problem. Uh, Yes, it is, actually. In recent decades, California's thriving economy has generated rising demand for housing, but legal restrictions on housing, including laws that give local activists outsized influence, have prevented real estate developers from keeping up with that demand. As a result, rents and home prices in San Francisco have soared far above the national average. The people who live right near a proposed development care a lot about it. Think about this. This makes sense, right? You live right next door to a development, you're going to care a lot about that development. But people who don't live next door, they're not going to care. And they're not going to come down and say, 
I am here to forcefully say I am ambivalent about this project. Do what you want, right? They're not going to show up at your development meetings or your city council meetings, right? So what happens? The anti-growth progressives, <laughs> they prevent, and it's actually not just progressives, they, they, they fill out most of the ranks of the folks like this, but I have seen this, uh, this sentiment expressed on both sides of the political aisle. And usually it has to do with how close is this project to your house. That's usually what this comes down to, right? And it means that the loudest voices, this activist uh, uh, population, they have the most amount of influence. Legal restrictions on housing have prevented real estate developers from keeping up with the demand. And so every project in a modern city, though, is located near somebody and so almost every effort to increase housing supply attracts opposition. Meanwhile, you got a lot of voters that may favor construction of more housing in general, right? Few of them, though, care enough to go to the planning meetings for any kind of specific project. So elected officials end up with a skewed impression of public opinion, believing that every project is less popular than it really might be. As a result, even though more development would be good for almost everybody, we don't get very much of it. And this brings us to the NIMBYs, the not in my backyard. That's what it stands for. Not in my backyard crowd. NIMBYs. They're homeowners. They tend to be affluent and eligible for AARP membership. They are parochial and obsessed with potential shortages of parking. <laughs> this is always, I ran into, oops, I'm sorry. I just hit the microphone there. I apologize. Very unprofessional. But uh, this has always been one of the the funny things for me whenever you start talking about Development in like your center uh, in here in Charlotte Center City development, you get people that complain about parking, right? And they're like, "Ah, oh, the parking is terrible. Why are they doing development there? There's no parking. Parking is terrible." Which, by the way, traffic and parking is what you always will complain about as a uh, a resident of a city. You just it's parking and traffic. You're just not going to be because traffic is us, right? We are traffic. When I get in my car, I become traffic. Right? I've got a uniform and everything. And uh, you're not going to be able to separate those two issues from city life. That's part of city life. Um, but it always struck me that the people who complain the loudest about there being no parking are people who then say they never go downtown <laughs> because it's too dangerous or it's too filled with traffic or I don't care to go there. I got everything I need in my neighborhood. Right? They don't go down there, but they complain about not being able to go down there. But if they could go down there more easily, they still wouldn't. For better or worse, a recognizable villain is the NIMBYs. And having a recognizable villain is an effective way to overcome the collective action problem uh, inherent in political organizing. NIMBY activists have been hampering housing development and driving up housing prices for long enough that a lot of people are getting pretty fed up with it. So when the YIMBY-minded people, the yes-in-my-backyard people, when they read about what happened in San Francisco, they don't see a monstrosity. I've looked at the building. I mean, it's a big square. It's on the city block, and so it's a big square, and it's, it's got some architectural features, but yeah. But by the way, part of that is if you want nicer-looking buildings, then, you know, incentivize nicer-looking buildings. Incentivize... And by, and by that, I mean, like, you know, deregulate some of this stuff and make it easier to build so people have more money to put into the aesthetic uh, exterior work, right? If they want to, like, you're not going to see, 
you don't see a lot of the aesthetically pleasing types of buildings so much nowadays as you used to, like a hundred years ago. A lot of those buildings are like classic now, but some of them when they were built at the time got a lot of opposition. I am an all of the above kind of guy. I want more variety. I want more architectural variety. But what do I know, right? Just the radio guy. Brett Winterbull's up next. Stick around. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. That's it for the show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.